As we turn now to the Word of God, open your Bibles and remain standing for the reading of our text this morning from the letter to Jude, the letter of Jude. If you don't know where it is, you might pass it by really quick. It's right before Revelation, and uh, we have been spending the last few weeks going through this short little letter, but it's powerful. It's uh, too often neglected, and we don't want to neglect it. And today, today is a beautiful passage that I hope moves your heart as much as it has moved mine, as I've spent time in it this past week. Hear the word of the Lord, Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word and may he write its truths in our hearts. And I almost, I, um, it's hard to preach this. I almost just want to read it over and over and over and over again. It doesn't get any better. So Lord, help me now to explain this, if I can even use that word, in a way that would help your people, encourage their hearts, Strengthen them in their faith. Help them to contend for the faith. There's so much beauty and glory and power here. We need you to see it, Lord. We need you if we are to respond to it correctly. So help us all, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And please have a seat. And you can keep your... Bible open there. Let me uh, take a few minutes and just review where we've come. Again, Jude is a short letter. It's 25 verses, on one chapter only. And I just want to give you a flyover of where we've been and, and how we're getting to where we are today. Jude started by introducing himself. Jude is the the half-brother of physically of Jesus. Um, we talked about that in week one and, and how yet he doesn't recognize himself as such. He recognized himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. And so an amazing, humble man, a really good pastor as we've seen him take his people through um, this incredible teaching. And he, he wanted them, before he got into the meat and the thick of the letter, which was really challenging, he wanted them to know who they were, that they are called of God, that they're beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. You might remember he, he said, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation, this incredible treasure that we share, but I, I needed to write about something else. There was an urgent need that had taken place, and he said there was a necessity to write appealing to you to contend for the faith, to fight 
for the faith, not your own personal faith, the faith, the, the Christian faith, the, the doctrines that have been handed down throughout the centuries, generation upon generation. Don't lose those. And there was a very great threat in this church that he was writing to of, of losing that. Why? Because of the creeps. We talked of the creeps. Because Jude said certain people have crept in to your church unnoticed. You, you, you haven't recognized it and they're teaching some things that are false. They're teaching things that are, that are leading away from grace even though they're claiming they are of grace. He said that they pervert the grace of God into license, into sensuality, that God is so gracious you can do whatever you want and live however you want and it doesn't matter. And boy, that is a common teaching to even today. A misunderstanding of the power of true grace that changes us from the inside out. He talked about how with their, with their teaching and their lifestyle, they deny the only Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. And so having talked about these false teachers, these creeps that had come into the church and were causing divisions and destruction to the other members of the church, he gave them reminders. He talked to them about how there was nothing new in what they were doing, that, that even those who had been saved out of Egypt years and years before ended up not even believing. Imagine that, seeing the deliverance of God out of Egypt and seeing the Red Sea parted and then you come away and say, I don't believe. He said that's what they were like. He talked about angels who, who understand authority and these people don't. He talked about the destruction that was upon Sodom and Gomorrah and these people were worse. He called them names like, like hidden reefs. They will shipwreck your faith if you're not careful. You can't see it and you've got to be careful. It's a hidden reef under the water. They're self-feeding shepherds. Waterless clouds. That's, that's, a, that's a good one, right? Imagine being a waterless cloud. You look like you have life, but it's only, there's nothing there. It's a vapor. Fruitless trees, wild waves of the sea. He went on and on, and that's why I, I think the letter is neglected, because most of it's really hard to read. You read it, and he's going on and on and on about these, these, these people who are teaching false doctrine. And then finally, he came to the point where he calls upon the church, those who are believing the truth, to persevere in the truth. He told them to remember the words of the apostles. He, in, he, he gave them the admonition to keep yourselves in the love of God. How? By building one another up in your most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, by waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And then he called on us to have mercy on those who are struggling, those who are doubting, to save others by snatching them from the fires, and to have mercy, yes, even on those who are unrepentant, but to do it in such a way where you hate the garment stained by the flesh. You're loving the sinner and hating that sin. Be careful lest you too fall. And so we talk, I talked last week about how the original hearers of this letter would have probably been sitting around either in a square or a circle there in the synagogue that, or, or wherever they were meeting. They, they probably weren't sitting in rows like this. And, and I can just imagine them hearing this letter for the very first time and looking around and struggling. Perhaps knowing that that brother over there is 
one of these cloud, waterless clouds? Or, and how, how do I deal with that? I don't think fear of conflict and confrontation is something of our generation alone. <laughs> I think it's been around since all of humanity, since the fall. And so I think this church was struggling, and so Jude gives them these incredible uh, practical ways in which they're to respond to the danger of the false teaching. He wants them to be built up in the faith. He, he wants them to do all of this contending for the faith, but yet he understands there's struggles. And you might even be struggling. Maybe you've read through Jude's letter and it's hard to read. Or other parts of Scripture, or, or different things are happening in your life, or you've got pain and, and sorrow, and, and, and people you love are, 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 are just on your heart heavily, and you're struggling, and you wonder, what if my faith fails, like we just sang? How does God keep us? How does God guard us? How does He keep us when... The strategies of the Apostle Paul of not losing heart seem so far away. It's distant. When the language to articulate the gospel with, with words another time, it's just they're not coming on your lips. When you're depressed and down, not just because your church may have false converts, but you fear you may be one. When you remember all the times that you in your life have given no evidence of the trusting power of the gospel and how you live, or, or let alone the trusting power of the gospel to convert your neighbor or an enemy. When your fuel tank of devotion seems empty. When the church doesn't seem unified and, or has been ravaged by wolves or by the wickedness of a Jezebel. How does God keep us? How does He keep us thriving? How does He keep us growing? How does He keep us alive? How does He keep us believing and serving? And Jude ends his letter with this beautiful doxology because I think the human tendency, perhaps the tendency of the early church, I know mine, is to hear these instructions and be like, okay, great, I got a lot of work to do. I got to get to work. And Jude's like, not so fast. Hold your horses a little bit. Let me first encourage you by lifting your eyes to the majesty of God. You see, why are you still a Christian? Years ago, probably over a decade ago now, I heard John Piper preach on Jude. And he asked that question. He gave some amazing, uh, humbling uh, thoughts on his own life where he was saying, I'm, I'm amazed that I'm still a Christian. You ever had that thought? Why are you a Christian? And if you've been one for a while, why are you still a Christian? Why are, we should be amazed that we are. We should be amazed if we love our spouse. We should be amazed if we've been faithful in our marriage. We should be amazed that we're here right now sitting in church 
loving the Word of God. We should be amazed that we love the church, that we love Christ, that we're still fit to serve and we love to serve Him. We should be amazed that we can do anything good. Why? Why am I still a Christian? Yes, I've kept myself in the love of God, as Jude said. I've built myself up and others up on the, the most holy faith. I've, I've prayed regularly in the Holy Spirit. I remain hopeful. I can't wait for eternity. But in the end, and through all of that, and even before any of it, there was Him. There was Him. And there is Him. And there will be Him. You see, if the answer to that question, why am I still a Christian? If the answer to that question in any way begins with, well, because I, we have missed it completely. Unto Him. To Him. Why am I still a Christian? Because of Him. It's Him. He has saved he has sustained, and He alone will sustain. So when you fear, your faith will fail. Christ will hold you fast. That's where Jude is going with this great doxology. He closes his letter with this doxology. I, we pastors like to use big words. It's another big word, doxology. It comes from the Greek doxologia, which means praise or glory. It's a combination of the word doxa, which means glory, and logos, which is speaking a word. And so it, it's this word of glory, this word of praise to God. It's a little different than the benediction. We've talked about that. The benediction is the good word of blessing. A benediction comes down from God in blessing. A doxology goes up to God in praise. And that's what we're going to talk about today. All praise to Him. Three points before you this morning. All praise to Him who preserves His people from stumbling. All praise to Him who presents His people as perfect reflections of His Son. And all praise to Him who alone is forever praiseworthy. Point number one, and back to verse 24, all praise to Him who preserves His people from stumbling. Again, Jude's message, this message of warning and doom and judgment that was upon the false teachers might have discouraged other readers of his letter. And, 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 and perhaps with all of the false teaching that was surrounding the, the original readers and even us today, it, it, it's, it, it leads us to wonder how many are actually going to make it. We see people fall, good people fall by the wayside, and we wonder, what about, how am I going to make it? How am I going to make it? And so Jude closes the letter and says this word, Now to him. To Him. To Him who is able. Dunamai is the word. It's where we get our English words like dynamic, dynamo, dynamite. To Him who has that power, dynamic ability. It conveys the meaning of, of possessing and, and exerting inherent ability to do something. Not, not something that someone has given you. It's in yourself. 
And Jude is wanting us to know that God is alone truly able. To him who is able. The apostates brought this this message that could potentially stumble someone's faith, but Jude wants them to know there is no match for God. The word dunamai, the word able, he is able, is in the present tense. It's a present participle which pictures God as continually, inherently, supernatural, powerful, and strong, and able. He can. God can. It's a word and a phrase that's used throughout Scripture. Paul used it when he wrote to the Romans in Romans 16 in another beautiful doxology. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. He used it when he wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. He is able, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Hebrews tells us that because he himself has suffered when tempted, this is Christ, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He is able, church. Hebrews chapter 7 tells us that he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is our God. He is able. Jude wants to point out just one focus of his ability, his full omnipotent ability. He says he is able to what? To keep you from stumbling. God is praised for his ability to keep you from stumbling. And once again, we see Jude emphasize this this idea of keeping. We've seen it in, in four other verses kept for Jesus Christ. He began the letter that way. You're those who are kept for Jesus Christ. This is actually a different word than he had used in the previous four verses. This is the word fulaso, which means, which really carries the military connotation of guarding or protecting. He's able to keep you from stumbling. It's the same word that's used in the Christmas story in, in, in Luke chapter 2 where it says that there were Uh, shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. They were guarding the flock. And so this picture parallels the the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd who who Jude is reminding us keeps care and watch and guard and protection over his sheep. So much so that he keeps them to where they're not able to stumble. He can keep you from stumbling. That's a rare rare word. It's only used right here in the New Testament. It's the only time it's used. And a lot of times people say, well, that means means we're never going to sin. And that's not what he's pointing out, especially in the context of the whole letter. What it means is that you're going to make it. 
You might fall, but you're going to get up. Why? Because it's not about you. Because it's him. Because it's his power in you, not yours. It's him. You'll never fully fall away. As a Christian, a true Christian, you'll never fully fall away. This is why, though, we need to understand the danger of false doctrine. Because we allow false doctrine into our understanding, into into churches. We begin to get warped in our mind. And it can lead people astray. And you say, well, what about that person that that walked away, that denies Christ today, or, or that has completely gone away from true sound doctrine? Scripture teaches us that that person was never truly one of us. Never true Christian. If they would be, they would have been kept. They would have persevered. Because God promises to keep believers from stumbling. Believers are called to run the race of the Christian life. And we're called to run it in such a way where our eyes are on Christ, where we're laying aside the weights and, of sin and the entanglements of, of false teaching and, and the world and in the confidence that God will protect us with a firm reliance on His protection. It's not a, a perfection in, in this life. It's not arriving at the state of perfection while you're still walking on planet earth, but it's, it's a growing maturity that endures to the end, ultimately ending in glorified perfection. But that's for the next life. That's for eternity. Charles Spurgeon describes it this way. He says, there is no stability in any Christian in himself considered. It is the grace of God within him that enables him to stand. And I believe that the soul of man is immortal, yet not in and of itself, but only by the immortality by which God bestows upon it from his own essential immortality. He goes on and discusses how God keeps us. Spurgeon wrote these words, He does it by teaching us the truth, by warning us against secret sin, and by his providential leading. Sometimes he, he keeps temptation from us, and at other times he allows a temptation to come to us that by overcoming it, we might be the stronger to meet another one. Oftentimes he delivers us from temptation by letting affliction come upon us. Have you ever seen your affliction in that light? Spurgeon says, many a man has been kept from falling into sin by being stretched upon a bed of sickness. Had it not been for the loss of that eye, he would have looked upon vanity. Had it not been for that broken bone, he would have run in the way of ungodliness. We little know how much preservation from falling we owe to our losses and crosses. Spurgeon tells the story of a guy named Sir James Thornhill who was painting the the ceiling uh, uh, inside the St. Paul's Cathedral there in London. And he's painting this masterpiece on the ceiling and, and he painted this section and he's up on the scaffolding way up high and he starts walking back to look at, get a better view of the whole thing, right? He, he's walking backwards and his assistant standing right next to the painting looks and sees that he's so focused he's going to walk back off right off the scaffolding and he would die. 
And he's about to walk off, so he grabs one of his paintbrushes, he dips it in the paint, and he starts rubbing it on the painting that he had just made, which causes him to obviously, in anger, lunge forward. He would have fallen if he had taken another step. But his friend, who saw his danger, saved his life. We've all painted life, pictured life. And oftentimes, we, well, we always paint it beautiful, right? And as we step back and admire it, we walk further and yet further and further away from God, further away from safety. We got closer and closer to dangerous temptation, dangerous doctrine, dangerous error. And when trial came and ruined the picture that we had painted, and then, not knowing why, we, we move forward and we're saved. God kept us from falling by the trouble that he had sent to us. And God has often kept us from falling by things like our having a bitter sense of your past sins. We don't want to go by, by that fire ever again. It burned too much. I've also noticed, Spurgeon writes, in my own case, that when the desire for sin has come with force. The opportunity for sin has not been present. And when the opportunity of evil has been present, then the desire has been absent. It's wonderful how God prevents these two things from meeting and so keeps his people from falling. We could go on and on of how God keeps his people. Now to him who can keep you from stumbling. Hear the promises of God in Psalm 121. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. All praise to Him. Secondly, all praise to Him who presents His people as perfect reflections of His Son. Verse 24, the second half, and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. What is this speaking of? This is speaking ultimately of that day where you and I will stand before the judge of all the earth. And as Paul writes to the Colossians, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Beautiful words. 
to present you. It means to cause to stand, to place you in the front, to set you somewhere where, in this case, before the presence of his glory. Now, you might read that really quick, and it might just fly right over your head, but do you understand what the presence of his glory means? When the glory of God showed up on earth, people weren't ho-hum about it. It wasn't a casual thing. They fell on their faces, shaking in their boots, scared to die. And Jude wants the believers to know, you will be presented. You will be standing. You will be made to stand before the presence of his glory. Blameless. To present you blameless. It's literally without spot or blemish. It's the word that's, that's used for the old sacrificial lambs who were required to be used for the sacrifice. They couldn't have a spot. They couldn't have a blemish on them. They had to be perfect. And Jude wants his, his hearers to know you will stand before the glory, the, the blazing, white, hot glory of God. Blameless. The glory of God. Doxa is, is the word. It's the dokeo. This is a verb form. It means to give a proper estimate of something, to understand the worth of something, the full worth of something, and it reflects the, the being of God's nature that in his character and power and acts, he is glorious, which means he is absolutely worthy. It's, it's a hard word to describe because we, we don't quite understand it. I think the Hebrew word for glory is a little bit better for, for me to understand it. It's the word kabod, which means heaviness, weightiness. That God has a, has a gravity to him, a weightiness that's unlimited. When we have something we think about that we ponder and we say, man, that's just heavy. God is unlimited heaviness. This is his glory. It's the, the brightest brilliance that, you, could, that you, you can't even imagine. This is the glory of God. And here's Jude's point that what happens when the weight of God's heaviness is placed on the scale against the burden of your sin. Because of Him, blameless. That's what happens. Blamelessness. Spurgeon, again, writes these words, There shall be none in heaven but those who are faultless. There shall by no means enter into those holy courts anything that defiles Heaven is perfectly pure, and if you and I are ever to get there, we must be pure as the driven snow. No taint of sin must be upon us, or else we cannot stand among the courtiers of God. And listen to these words. Come, Christians, 
think for a minute how faultless Christ has made you so far as your past sins is concerned. The moment you believed in him, you weren't so completely washed. In, you were so completely washed in his precious blood that not a spot of sin remained upon you. Try to realize that. That whatever your past life has been, if you believe, if you now believe in Jesus Christ, you are cleansed from all iniquity by virtue of his atoning sacrifice, and you are now covered in perfection and beauty and glory, a, a spotless robe of righteousness, not of yourself, but because of him, because of his life, his perfect purity, his perfect obedience to the Father's will. That's how you will stand. And he goes on, and oh, how could it not include this, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great Joy. Great joy means gladness. Extreme joy, which often is accompanied by words and or, according to the dictionary, bodily movements. And I love that. <laughs> it, such as what? Such as jumping and smiling and hands raised and falling down your face and exuberance and excitement and emotion and affections and all the things that we do and use not only with our words but with our bodies to say, no, oh, thank you. I'm so happy, so full of joy and life, and it's not from me. Great joy. Listen, Christian, in Christ, our greatest fear has been removed. Death is erased. And the judgment of facing a holy God as a sinner is done. It's gone. It's been paid for. We will stand because he is able. We will stand presented before him blameless and, of course, with great joy. We won't have to cower shamefacedly into the presence of God. Oh, I've, oh we know. We can stand before him and be presented in his presence with exceeding joy because of him. It's him. All praise to him. I also happen to think that that great joy should be expressed now. Why would you wait why would you wait till you see him express it now? And you may not be as emotional as I am. I'm a mess half the time. I'm crying at the drop of a hat. I realize that. But how, sometimes I think, how can we not? How can we not be moved with affection when we think of our Savior? How can we not be filled with joy? All praise to him because he presents his people as perfect reflections of his son. Thirdly and lastly, all praise to him who alone is forever praiseworthy. Jude says to him, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He wants them to know he is worthy. He alone is worthy. He is the only God. He stresses his, his utter uniqueness. 
the only God. And, and I challenge you, is he the only God? And we would all say yes and amen, but, but functionally, functionally in your daily life, does your life look as if he's the only God? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No other com- competition. Do I live this reality? He's our Savior. He's the one who rescues us from sin, from eternal destruction by His his perfect life that He lived by taking upon Himself the form of a servant and be made in the image of man and coming upon this planet to, to have a body, to be incarnated, to be truly man. And yet truly God, it's unbelievable. And and to live among us and to walk among us and to experience the pains and the suffering and the temptation all, all without sin. And to culminate it all in a in a sacrificial death. With a plan all the way back from the beginning, where God told Adam and Eve in cursing the serpent that that, that serpent's head would be crushed. He had it all planned. He would send his son, his only son. And the only one that never deserved death would die. My sin and yours would be placed on his shoulders. He would be nailed to a cross. He would say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He would willingly yield up his spirit and he would die. And he was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures on the third day. This is our Savior. And this is why when he says through Jesus Christ our Lord that expressions used throughout the, the, the Old Testament, and, or excuse me, the New Testament, various forms, and it's to let us know, to, to let us never forget that that's how all our blessings come. Every blessing only comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And to Him, to Him be what before things Jude wants us to, to know, to express and praise to Him. Be glory and majesty and dominion and authority. To Him be, which that's an interesting, you, you might have a translation that, that has words that are italicized, and, and that means that's, that that's put there in the English to help us understand the context. But that word's not there. There, there is no verb there in the Greek. It's to him glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. And I, I happen to think it might be better to instead saying be, because that almost makes it feel like we're going to give this to him, and it's not, it's are. To him are glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. It's not a matter of us giving him anything. It's us recognizing who he is, what he has. It's Psalm 29, 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. He prays 
Jude prays these four specific attributes of God would be recognized and, and magnified glory. We already talked about that, doxa. He's glorified when he's allowed to be seen as he really is. To him be all the glory. He alone gets the spotlight. He alone gets all the credit and praise. Be glory, be majesty. Megalosune is the Greek word. It's the word mega. Megas is in there, great and strong. It, it signifies the greatness of a king, that God is greater than all. And, and it, it's also used in, in Hebrews, and Peter uses it as actually a name for God the Father, a title, the majesty. That's his name. That's who he is. He's the king, the great king. Ascribe majesty to him. Ascribe dominion to him. This is, this is jurisdiction. That God has the sovereign right in himself to rule over the universe. He is the rightful king. He has all power and he has all dominion. That means that everything is within his jurisdiction. It's, 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 like, it's like if you... Uh, Billy. Billy's a... Uh, does jujitsu, right? So Billy, it's like Billy, he, he didn't like one of my sermons. And I said some things and he didn't really like it. So at the end of the, the, the service, he comes up on the stage and he chokes me out, right? And just puts me to sleep right here. Now, does he have the power to do that? He certainly does. <laughs> he would whoop me quickly. But does he have the right? I say no. <laughs> certainly not, right? No jurisdiction there. God has all dominion. It's all under his jurisdiction. All authority, power. It means he has the right and the might. There are no exception clauses over his dominion and his authority. And then Jude adds this, before all time and right now and forever. That kind of covers it all, doesn't it? <laughs> Did God, like, get this power and authority and dominion and glory? No, he's had it before all time, and it was due to him before all time, and right now and forevermore. All of these things ascribe to him glory and majesty, dominion, authority, right now and forever, and then he closes with amen, or amen, however you want to pronounce it. Amen which is a transliteration of, of a Hebrew noun that, that's pronounced amen. <laughs> and if you go to most of the world today and say amen, they're going to understand you. It's been transliterated into languages all over the world. Does anybody else speak another language in here? We got Tagalog over here, right? How do you say amen in Tagalog? Amen. Espanol. Amen, right? You, we can keep going on and on and on. You could speak 70 languages in here today. Amen. Just say it. And it means, let it be so. So be it. It's like saying, yes. Yes. Yeah. Let it be so. Jude began his letter by letting the people know that they were kept 
for Jesus Christ. And now he wants to close with another bookend to let them know that were it not for God, we would be walking away and falling away from grace every second of the waking day and probably in our sleep too. That it is he who keeps us from stumbling. That it is he alone who qualifies us as blameless. That it is he alone that because of who he is and what he's done that deserves and is worth all the glory, all the credit, all the majesty, the beauty ascribed to him, the dominion, the, the authority. This is why the host of heaven in Revelation 5, verse 12, cries out to him with a loud voice and says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So church, do not underestimate. Christian, do not underestimate the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to keep you from falling. It is power that was at work before all time. It is power that is at work right now in our hearts and it is power that will be at work forever. Your keeping, your endurance began before creation. It's happening right now as your heart is exploding with wonder of who your Savior is. And it will never, ever end. And church, we get to understand this and do this together. Together. It's, it's meant to be a corporate wonder. When we wonder at the glory of God and the majesty of God, we ascribe to Him dominion and authority. It's not just Brian up here by himself. It's God's people together with their eyes on Christ, unified, being used in one another's lives to, hey, brother, you, you stumbled and fell. I'm, I'm going to be the one to pick you up. You say, did I pick him up or did God? God uses means. It's how he works. We have a lot of means right here where he can do great and mighty work, and it's, it's time for this local church to realize the treasure that we share. Time to rise up from the ashes of, of challenge and difficulties and failures and to contend for the faith. Christian, there's so much at stake for you not to be engaged in contending for the faith together. It's life and death it's eternity, it's, it's holiness, it's happiness, it's, it's healing, it's families, it's your neighbors, it's our city, it's our nation, it's your children and your grandchildren all at stake. I love what Kevin DeYoung wrote. He said, I've never met a Christian who is healthier, more mature, and more active in ministry by being apart from the church. The man who attempts Christianity without the church shoots himself in the foot, shoots his children in the leg, and shoots his grandchildren in the heart. Other than sin, is there any reason 
Christian, not to be fully engaged in the fight for the faith. He is worthy. He is worthy. Let me have the music team come as we prepare for the communion. Unto him. Unto the Savior who by his blood has washed us from our sins, who has made us kings and priests unto God the Father. Unto him be glory, all light and excellence and splendor. Be unto him, unto him be majesty, all power, all authority, all preeminence. Unto him be dominion, all rule and government in the world and in the church, in the earth and in heaven. Unto him be all authority, all energy and operation to everything that is wise and great and good and holy and excellent. Right now, in the present state of life and things, no matter what's going on in life, unto him. Right now and forevermore. To the end of all places and circumstances and worlds. To a place which knows no end. When we reach eternity in which this glory and majesty and dominion and power, we will forever dwell. And God's people said, let it be so.